for those of you um, who don't know me, my name is Heidi. I've been around for a long time, right from the start, which used to be a few years ago, now it's like over a decade ago. St. Luke's has been going, so it's, um, yeah, it's been a very joyful and life-giving <coughs> journey. So today um, I'm going to talk about being content, which um, sounds very basic and very boring, um, but what I've come to find myself in life is often the most simple things um, can be the most life-changing. So this is something that I've been particularly conscious of in the last few months, um, just in my own personal life, with kind of just, you know, going along in life. Um, and in a few areas of life I've realised, and I'm probably like, for a lot of you here, you'll be like, this is just like obvious talk, not revolutionary, but for me it's quite revolutionary. Um, I've realised that my experience of life, whether I'm living um, with tension, with dissatisfaction or striving or anxiety versus living with peace, contentment, enjoyment and groundedness, actually has way less to do with what's actually going on in life or presenting um, and way more to do with what's going on up here. You know, like I've had at times all sorts of things spinning in my head you don't need to know the supercharged intricacies that can sometimes be my brain. Um, and it's just brought to my plate various levels of distressing. Um, so naturally, because I'm married to a clinical psychologist, um, you know, I just every now and again say, Simon, like, what can we do to fix this, you know? <laughs> fix me. Tell me the thing to do to, like, get, make myself fixed. And um, in this particular instance, when I was like, oh, Simon, I'm like all this discontentment and distress and this is happening and he's like well just don't think about it I was like well medium level of helpful <laughs> medium level maybe like low to medium um, you know I just thought it was an impossible and ridiculous answer but now having kind of examined and been curious and worked um, out a few um, things I do know that it is a good answer it is a good answer just don't think about it so we're going to uh, unpack that a little bit um, today as well. But basically, you know, when you live with a sense of contentment, um, like you're a happier person, um, you are more at peace with yourself, um, your experience of life is just better, you're freer to be authentically you. You know, we are saved <coughs> and we are being saved. And as a part of that, we have found reconciliation, yet we are still continuing to find reconciliation, you know, growing towards God, towards others, hopefully towards creation, and equally towards ourselves, having that reconciliation with ourselves. So cultivating and nurturing a sense of internal contentment is a part of that. So um, I'm going to throw around some thoughts on contentment today, and then we're going to apply a few practices that will help us hopefully transition from kind of the muddle and grind that we sometimes find in our heads and our hearts in relation to feeling content, to um, being able to bring in that sense of peace and contentment right now, today. But basically I've come to believe, this is my kind of main thought at the moment, is the biggest flex in today's world is to be content. Is to be content. Because it's such a um, thing that can't be ticked off and achieved. And you know, anyone with a bit of talent in different areas can pull off some pretty big things. But the biggest flex in today's world is to be content. So what do I mean when I say content or to have a sense or stance of contentment? So contentment is being present, right? Not being in the past or in the future, but being present in the now. Being present in the now, which is such an art and a discipline. 
You know, how many times have I or you or any of us here already flipped through in our mind, um, you know, during the worship to the week schedule, what's for dinner or what's happening after church today, or tried to um, rework that conversation that we had in the past um, this week, trying to solve that problem or work out what the next step is on, you know, our to-do list. You know, how much of our life do we spend thinking about the past, you know, either the good old days or perhaps some of the decisions that we made that we regret? Or, um, you know, how long of our time, how much of our time we spend in the future? You know, thinking about the wants and the needs and the aspirations of tomorrow. And somehow, whether intentionally or not, not spending a lot of time in the now, in the present. So contentment is being present. Contentment is not comparing, right? So it's not tied to feeling satisfied because you're winning. Um, although we certainly celebrate that, right? We celebrate achievements and amazing things that people are doing in the world that have impact. But if we can only feel contentment when we uh, either have an achievement to peg it to or a milestone or when we're comparatively more than someone or something or a goal, um, it's not true contentment because the nature of comparison is that being when you are less than or you don't hit the thing or you're not as good or you don't measure up, that perceived contentment disappears pretty quickly. So contentment and comparison can't coexist. And true contentment is independent of how you measure up to anything or anyone else. So contentment is an ego that's at peace with and submission to the soul. Alright, so contentment is grounded in who we are, the depths of who we are. It's not um, the straining and striving and um, you know, the ego will always tell you that contentment is just around the corner. When you reach that thing, when you achieve that milestone, you know, when that external validation is given, when you're better than that person, when you acquire that symbolic um, milestone or possession or, or thing in your life, then, then you'll be content. So don't worry, you know, you'll find contentment, but it's just beyond, and it will always be beyond, be beyond if we don't tie that sense of contentment to that groundedness within us. So contentment is found with the ego is at peace with and submission to the soul. It's a way of being, not driven by ego. It's a state of peace, groundedness, and reconciliation with yourself. And then I think this is kind of like the summary statement here. Contentment is a state of being that's mentally and emotionally satisfied with how things are now. How things are now, right? What we have, whether that be our material possessions, whether it be, you know, um, the family that surrounds us, whether it be you know, our demographic or psychographic, what we have. It's content with what we have now. It's content with who we are, right? So who you are right now, can you be content with that person? Yes, there's bits and pieces about each of us that is, you know, we want to leave behind and not, not associate with. And these things we're all trying to grow towards in the future, and that isn't necessarily bad, but can you be content with who you are right now? And a sense of contentment is when you are satisfied with where you're going. So what path are you on? Can you be content with where you're going? So who, what we are, have, who we are, where we're going. It sounds so simple, <laughs> but it's such a lifelong challenge, I think. So the stance of contentment, for me particularly, um, recently has been an ongoing challenge. Um, there's been times in my life where I've navigated it beautifully, so well, um, and but also perhaps quite spectacularly unsuccessful at working out what contentment looks like. But there's a few factors that I've um, come to find really impact on that sense of contentment. So for me, being like an engaged human in the world, right? Like going out, living life, being exposed to 
all the things in the world. You know, that is a real challenge in having that nurturing and that sense of contentment. In my daily life, I'm exposed to options, right? So many ways of achieving, so many comparative realities, so many aspirational things, um, how he, she, they live, you know, ideals and aspirations that can appear so much bigger, better, nicer, more noble, brighter than my current experience. And I think in our world today, there's a sense of never-ending options. You know, back in the day, we lived in a village. We knew what was going on down the street. Probably didn't even own a mirror. You know, whereas now we're exposed to, like, everything and so much more visibility. So, you know, there's this never-ending sense of options around growth, around um, what you could do with your career, with your wealth, what material achievements are attainable, what lifestyle goals you should be working towards. You know, there's knowledge to be gained, never-ending. There's impact to be made, never-ending. There's personal development pathways to grow you and change you and upgrade you. There's ideals, aspirations, possibilities, whether that be family, health, appearance. There's a never-ending sense of increase, of progress, of bigger, better that is out there. And I live in a world that is helping on using comparison as a measurement. You know, we get our cues of value from all sorts of social constructs. And subsequently, it impacts on our contentment because we see where we are now, we see all the options out there, and there's this gap. So it's a daily challenge to be in the world, but not take on these pressures. I am also a human, <laughs> possessing a certain set of personality traits that I've learned can be my absolute superpowers, and at times, my biggest roadblocks. So for me personally, if you're, um, I'm quite, I'm not hardcore, but I do quite enjoy the old like, personality um, profiling framework, because I find it, it really does help me understand myself, and it helps me understand others. So for me, um, I've found it quite useful using the Enneagram. Does anyone know a little bit about Enneagram? Yes. Um, I, I mean, I, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I find it quite helpful. So I'm an Enneagram 3 wing 4, right? So this basically means um, I struggle every second of the day not to have a quantifiable achievement to justify my existence. So you can imagine how fun that is sometimes. So and then my, um, I've also done a bit with Strength Finder and again found that so helpful. But you know, my top five strengths are significance, achiever, learner, analytical and focus. So basically I'm wired to become obsessive in achievement, infinite in my learning, I'm a walk walking doer, I'm prone to pushing upwards and outwards and always seeking something beyond my reach. And that's kind of like this God-given like profile of beautiful strengths, but at the same time can be a biggest roadblock. And so I find the experience of myself at times hard to navigate with that bridge of contentment. And, um, you know, that is often what lands in that gap is discontentment. So from that perspective, the ideal of being content, I find it quite confronting at times. Also, for me, the first couple of this month, in particular amongst, you know, the scattering of things going on in the years of life, have had some intense stresses come across my path. You know, plus, you know, as we have all experienced, you know, the state of the world is like chaos. You know, for a while there were all like sick at home, um, there was wars starting, there was like economic gloom and gloom, like heaviness, man. It was just so much heaviness going on, I felt, for everyone. And of course, when we have stress and we have circumstances and we have situations that are tricky, you know, it does niggle and push up against that sense of grounded peace and contentment. And that's, that's all a part of being human as well. So for me, at times, it feels like the experience of living in the world, the gift 
of my personality or strengths and then experiencing the circumstances and stresses that come along make it quite difficult to find that sense of contentment. And I'm sure this is true for each of us here today. You too are an engaged human. No one here is doing commune life or hermit life. You're here today. You're an engaged human in the world who no doubt feels pulled by the influences that, you know, you, that you just come across in your day-to-day -day living, telling you that you need to be, do or have X, Y, Z in order to be a success, in order to, you know, qualify for contentment, in order to ascertain peace. You know, how often do we feel like we're kind of just behind in terms of our life milestones, whether that be in relation to, you know, your marriage status or your net worth or where you're in your career, uh, career or what your kids are doing or what the family looks like. You know, there's often a sense of where we feel behind, that we're not where we should be. Um, and the thing is, these aren't even real or official or kind of like recommended milestones by any organisation in the world, and they're certainly not biblically based, yet we get stuck on them. And they can create these kind of discernment, uh, discontentment troughs in our lives. You too have a set of personality traits and strengths that play out in different ways. But you will be facing your own challenge in relation to who you are and what sits on um, your profile in terms of working out how that tips into your commitment, uh, contentment. You know, I could go through each Enneagram number and point out the different ways in which your personality trips you up and makes it hard for you to sometimes find um, and flourish in that contented space. Um, apart from my nines, am I right? <laughs> Any nines out there? Um, you guys have maybe just got a few more, like, you know, a few more points on the old contentment front than some of us. Um, and each of us have our own spectrum of stresses, right? We've got things going on, some are situational, some are chronic, these different pressures, decisions, circumstances on our plate that just bump up and, and um, detract from that peace and that they can massively impact on our sense of peace and contentment. But the bottom line is if you're a human trying to live in the world, contention, uh, contentment has to be an intentional pursuit. It has to be an intentional pursuit, it's something to be nurtured and practiced and something that we face with intention. So we're going to um, go briefly to Exodus 16. So Exodus 16 in the Bible. So um, the backstory is that Israel has been delivered from Egypt, right? They've been delivered safely and dramatically. They've walked, walked through the parting of the Red Sea. They've been delivered and saved. Yet they are in the wilderness. They are in the process still of being delivered and being saved. They have not yet crossed over into the Promised Land. They live in that now. But not yet, a lot like us. We've been saved and delivered and reconciled, yet we are still in the process of being saved, delivered and reconciled. And one day we will know in full what it is like to be saved, reconciled and delivered. So they're six weeks into their new desert life, which is better than slavery, but also not the life of their dreams because they are in the desert <laughs> and they don't know when or where the end point is, or when or where the destination is, they don't, they're in that now but not yet, they're in that wandering place. And so they start complaining about, about against Moses and Aaron, and my guess as well is that they're getting a bit hungry because they say, why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt, where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat? It's like they've literally been saved from slavery, Red Sea, dramatic, like, wow moment, and they're like, couldn't we not have just 
died back there where we had some like land stew and bread. You've brought us out into the wilderness to starve us to death and a whole company of Israel. So the very past focused. And God, so God um, said to Moses, hey, I will rain down bread from heaven. Each will get one day's ration, except on the sixth days, um, sixth day, everyone should gather some more so they've got enough for the Sabbath, right? So Moses said to them, all right, um, the, there's going to be manna from heaven. It's the bread God has given you to eat. And these are God's instructions. Gather enough for each person, about two quarts per person. Gather enough for everyone in your tent. The people of Israel went to work and started gathering some more, some less. But when they measured out what they had gathered, those who gathered more had no extra, and those who gathered less weren't short. Each person had gathered as much as was needed. <coughs> and Moses said to them, don't leave any of it until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. A few of them kept it back, kept some back until morning, and it got wormy and smelled bad. And Moses lost his um, the Israelites then went on to eat manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle down and they ate manna until they reached the border into Canaan. So what's happening here? So the Israelites have been saved and delivered, but they're not saved and delivered in full. And so, but in, in that kind of in-between part, they start comparing to their old life. We'd be better off if we were still in slavery because we had lamb and we had bread. And actually it would be better off if we just died there because it just, you know, it, that past life is, is much better than it is now. They know that's not true because there was a reason that they needed to be delivered from slavery and they've been promised this future. But all of a sudden seem, things seem better when they were in Egypt. And then God provides. God provides, like miraculously, manna from heaven, bread from heaven. And rather than enjoying the provision in the present, they start living in the future. We won't have enough for tomorrow. You know, even though God has said, just take enough for today, we won't have enough for tomorrow. And so they keep it aside. And the manna, they hoarded, got wormy, and smelled bad. And eventually they learned to trust that God is enough. And that daily trust meant they could be present in and be provided for each and every day. You know, manna, the manna that came from heaven wasn't the lamb roast of Egypt. It wasn't, like, blow your socks off, like, next level. It wasn't kind of that prosperity gospel of more, better, best, intense, rich. But it was enough. It was sufficient. It was provided each and every day. And they could have lived every single day of those 40 years in the desert with the heaviness and the disrest and the kind of that feeling of discontentment, reminiscing the feasts. Dreaming of that potential someday, one day. You know, and that would have been an absolute waste of life, of potential satisfaction, of peace and contentment. Even when life is a bit basic and not ideal, we, when we trust God for today's provision and choose to let whatever is today be enough, we can actually change that whole experience internally. And for Israel, it was submitting to trust, recognising provision as enough, and enjoying what was available that made it possible to live those 40 years in the desert with a sense of contentment. You know, I see myself so much in this story. You know, there's so much when I look at my life and my story and, you know, the provision of God that, you know, I've been rescued for so much, I've been brought through so much, I've been saved through so much. I've, you know, there's miraculously been this pathway made out of Egypt. Yet it's so easy at times to look back, to rose tint, 
those times, to long for those things that were. It's so easy to look then to the future and to the things that hopefully one day, someday, we desire and that may come apart and come across our paths. But and they're not necessarily all bad things either. Some of them are beautiful, noble, wonderful things that we desire in the future. But all we really have is the now, right? The present. All we actually have is the now and the present. So while it's awesome to dream big dreams and have goals and look forward to the future, anticipate that there will be good things and better things to come. All we really have is the now, the present, and God has promised to take care of us in the present. You know, I am such a um, planner, goal setter, achiever, um, and God made me this way. So it's not a call to kill ambition, right? It's not a call to lay down and sleep forever and not worry about, you know, what impact you may be able to have in the world. Each of us have our strengths to drive us to do God's work in the world and move things forward to those unique, in those unique ways, but in the same breath. We're called to be content with where we are now. Is this a message to say don't aspire for more? No way. You know, um, don't work towards a better and brighter future. Is this a message to settle um, for the baseline basics and don't ever petition God for increase? Not at all. You know, this is certainly not a message that would encourage you as well to like accept less than ideal circumstances to, you know, you know, feel the pressure to be content when things you're in a really damaging situation, or a really high stress, or a really, um, you know, just unhealthy place. No way. It's not a call to say be accept, um, be accepting and and content with some of these terrible things that might be going on. But it's a call to say, what can we find in the now that we can be contented on? I think Paul sums it up well in his letter to the Philippians. <clears throat> He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, knowing how to get along with humble means, but I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I have learned to be content, and I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know, in every circumstance, learning to be content. You know, a lot of us in the room, um, you know, we're not necessarily in the hardest season of life in terms of, you know, putting food on the table and having a nice bed to sleep on. But can we also, if all those things were taken away, find a sense of contentment? You know, because if we can change the way things are done up here and in here, we can actually live and enjoy this beautiful present now. We can have that non-anxious presence. You know, we can have a sense of peace and contentment and trust in the goodness of God today and every day, not just for the purposes of having a nice life and having happiness and comfortability. That's beautiful and important. But so that we can be a part of that reconciliation mission in the world from a grounded place of contentment and peace. You know, we can live in a way that we can take risks. You know, that we can live true to our convictions, that we can go and do brave things in the world because we have that grounded sense of contentment and peace, knowing who we are, knowing where we're going, and knowing who we are, where we're going, and what we have is enough. That settled spirit, that quiet confidence, that God's work for good, grounded in that conviction that Christ's power, purpose, and provision is sufficient for every circumstance. Christ's power, purpose and provision is sufficient for every circumstance.
So this flows onto a very good, good, good piece of news, and this is what I want you to know about contentment today. So contentment is available in Christ, right? It's accessible in Christ. God is enough. God has provided, and God will continue to provide. Contentment is available in Christ. Contentment is independent of circumstances, right? Even in the toughest of circumstances, through Christ, we can find contentment. Contentment is able to be found in every season. And contentment is learned through practice. And this is where I have been exploring with curiosity and um, commitment, learning contentment through practice. You know, my personal lived experience is that it can be quite distressing, unsettling, very mentally tiring, very mentally tiring, and non-productive to live in a state of discontentment. I'm sure you've been there too. And equally, my personal lived experience is that nothing material may at all change. <laughs> the world may stay exactly as it is, but the truth I believe and affirm, the thoughts I feed, you know, the thing that I choose to focus on can absolutely change my lived experience to being peaceful, joyful, calm, content, and in rest. And the good news is that Christ can transform our minds, and there's a good deal that we can do and we can take ownership on, we can kind of train and practice and nurture the sense of contentment. It's something that's learned, practiced, nurtured. So I want to go real practical and um, just talk about three practices that we can look to embed in our lives that kind of combat some of those contentment challenges I talked through earlier. So on the subject of being an engaged human in the world, right? So we're going out, we're living our lives as we should be engaging, being a part of everything that's going on, and we're kind of finding this gap between, you know, where we're at and where whoever and whatever says we should be in whatever shape, way, shape, or form in life. You know, um, the answer, even though I'm sure we've all considered it at times, is not necessarily to start a commune or to live as a hermit, although, you know, Especially the commune thing has crossed my mind sometimes. It would just be so much easier to live in contentment if you just, you know, curated a little commune. Um, but anyway, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that, Heidi. All right. Well, here's another way that you could perhaps, um, perhaps, you know, build build that bridge or nurture that contentment. Being a human, living in the world, and I'm going to suggest that affirmations are something that majorly grind, grounds yourself in truth. Now, when you think of affirmations, I don't want you to think like chanting mantras in the mirror. I don't want you to think about like manifesting your dreams and some of these kind of other ideas that we come across at times. I'm just talking about affirming the truth. Affirming the truth. Affirming the truth, right? It's very biblically grounded. So when we practice affirmation, one place, and we've already done today, is we come to church and we gather together and worship, right? We speak out, we sing out, we affirm, we confess the truth. We go out to the world and we have all these other like potential truths swirling around. We come to church, we gather together in worship, and we practice affirmation through speaking out, singing out, confirming, affirming, and confessing the truth. The truth of the gospel. And it changes us. It centers us. It reminds us. It brings us back from all the places that we frequently wander off to. It takes us back home and it gives us an alternative to the stories and aspiration and satisfaction measures of the big wide world. It grounds us in the story of Christ and tells us, you are enough. God is enough. You can find peace here. You know, we practice affirmation when we speak out our set prayers. 
right? So again, we consciously confess, we realign, we recenter, and we declare truth in the form of prayer as the overarching truth in our life. Truth that has been confessed and declared and is true to the creeds through the ages. And again, it centers us, it reminds us, it puts in place our focus and grounds our identity. So we practice affirmation in worship, we practice affirmation in prayer. And then another thing that I've added in which I find to be really helpful is practicing affirmation on the specific things that you might find a challenge. So we write out, we meditate on, we affirm, we confess. Um, but those things that are particularly relevant to the things that we're finding challenging. So it could be a scripture, a sentence, a reflection, specific words that are important for you to affirm as truth. So it could be as simple as, God will provide for me. I have enough for today. And that's something that you daily affirm, that you daily confess, and that becomes the truth, the grounding, the centre, rather than all the things that influence us out and about. You know, I have a bunch that ground me in Christ, that grow me towards that truth, that grow me in that relationship towards myself, that feed contentment versus feeding that sense of falling short. Cool, so that's one tool that you can put in your tool belt is being bold and being um, proactive in putting yourself in places where you do that affirmation of truth. Um, the second one is kind of a little bit of a combo, but gratitude and immersive experience or recreation. You know, how do we combat our own personal tendencies? Sure, we work on our weaknesses, like that's a lifelong journey. Um, and this may be different for each person, but I find practicing gratitude takes me a long way. Rather than ruminating on that gap, where that discontentment lies, gratitude pulls you to the present because it gives you an opportunity to be thankful and give gratitude for the actual things in the now. Grounding yourself in that current reality of what now can you be thankful for? And then, of course, it rolls on to nurturing, feeding, and growing that sense of contentment. So again, it's a thing that isn't rocket science, we all know, but it can be so powerful. And then when it comes to kind of working out how to um, find that contentment in the midst of personality um, traits and different strengths and weaknesses, um, I find, and it may just be linked to my overachieving tendencies, that I find a massive key for connecting myself to contentment is participating in immersive experiences and recreation. So for some of you, you're like, what are we talking about this for? Like, <laughs> having fun, isn't that just like normal it's like well some of us find it a bit harder okay so i'm talking things like um ocean swims maybe like a physical run with a friend getting lost in an amazing meal um you know just like getting lost in the silliness of the kids and their jokes allowing yourself to climb a mountain and just take in that view with nothing else attached um, I have like this ridiculous guy I follow on TikTok who has like the lamest jokes in the world. I find it hilarious. For me, escaping into like that crying with laughter zone um, based on the stupidest humour in the world, like that is such a connecting, grounding, like contented experience for me. It could be for you dancing to live music. Um, it could be. It's all those things that you know. So you, some might say, "Well, that's escapism. You're just escaping your problems by doing fun stuff." Um, and maybe for some people, you know, it can drift to that, it can become hedonism, but I would call this kind of God-given connectedness. Like, I believe that these delightful parts of the human experience where we're just in the moment, enjoying the sim often, often the simplest of things, are designed by God to help feed contentment, to give us an insight onto what 
peace and groundedness and just being fully human and fully present in the now feels like. Because basically you're immersing yourself in something that at that time you can't multitask your thoughts. You're giving yourself an opportunity to just disconnect from that dissatisfaction, from that gap, because in that moment you are putting yourself in complete contentment. You're immersed, you're engaged, you're content, you're enveloped. Is it biblical? I don't even know. <laughs> but I think it's a God-given thing that is a human strategy for embodying that goal of contentment. So finding some things that really ground you to the now, that bring enjoyment, that bring joy, that bring contentment, that give you those, those really connected, present moments. So gratitude and having um, kind of immersive experiences of recreation. And the third one um, that we're going to touch on briefly as well is mindfulness. So especially... Especially, you know, we're never ever going to be able to fully avoid stress and circumstances and situations and stuff coming across our plate in life that we don't want, right? Um, but if whenever those things come across our path, we can't find any sense of contentment or peace, um, I find that quite a scary thought, right? So if we're trying to nurture contentment amongst experiencing stress, pressure, circumstances and situations, um, a mindfulness practice goes a long way, right? Just again as a tool to have in the tool belt. Um, so mindfulness is the basic ability to be fully present, to be aware of where we are and what we're doing and not overly reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. In other words, it's a practice that just again grounds us to the now and helps us find that contentment and connection to everything that is right there in that moment. So on an ongoing manner, it could be as simple as putting aside a minute or two, five, ten, depending on what your morning looks like, to enjoy your morning coffee or tea. Make it how you like. Drink it out of your favourite mug. I bought along this mug. It just looks pretty. I just wanted to bring it along because this for me is like a massive part of my mindfulness because it's got like a rough bit here and a smooth bit here. And then it's like a little bit like not perfect. And so for me, sitting and drinking my morning coffee and kind of just noticing the textures, noticing the heat where it starts and stops, noticing the smooth and the rough, like it's just fully connecting to that moment. And then can also, you know, enjoying the taste of that beautiful brew, whatever it is that, you know, is your morning cup. Um, you know, sitting and just being present in this moment and just trying to soak up every little detail, taste, touch, smell, um, you know, what feels really good about that warmth on your fingers, all those things make us connected to that now and all the stressful stuff that's going on and you're responsible for it, you're trying to fix, you know, that can just sit aside while at that time you connect so deeply with the most simple and beautiful act of enjoying a cup of something in the morning. So in the midst of the precious, tricky circumstances and stress, you're choosing to focus on something, give mindfulness to something and find contentment, even if it's just for that minute, <laughs> in, um, in that moment, to find absolute contentment in that moment, despite what might be swirling and waiting for you ahead in the rest of the day. Um, I also have a mindfulness uh, recording on my phone that um, I, yeah, I've had for a number of years. Um, and I don't do it every day, but I pull it out, again, like a tool in the tool belt, when I need something to help move me down 
from spinning out into crazy land. <laughs> it's a mindfulness of the breath. So again, it's not anything that requires money or a special setup. It's just a guided mindfulness um, talk that helps connect you to your breath. So despite everything that's going on around there, you can find that sense of contentedness, of peace, of appreciation, of gratitude for your breath and all the, all the sensations that associate that. Um, and I believe it's something that God uses to bring about peace in a moment, times, transitions um, of contentment when things feel especially chaotic. And I, um, I kind of, I did think about doing a mindfulness exercise today, but I just decided that we'll make communion now mindfulness time. But in some ways, like we could spend a whole morning talking about mindfulness. Um, and Simon's actually going on a like three-day mindfulness retreat this week, so it's like you know, like it's this massive. Thing that I'm not going to be able to teach you everything about today. I don't even know everything about myself. But what I'd encourage you to do is find those moments that you corner off as your mindfulness moments and find those places where you can really connect and absorb and just have that moment of connectedness and contentedness in amongst the craziness of life. Um, yeah, so I'd encourage you to do your own reading. Um, just try and weave it into your practice and know that this tool is, can be just so powerful in bringing you closer to contentment, especially when there's just a lot going on. So um, flicking back to the start when Simon told me, um, just don't think about it, <laughs> um, he was actually right, you know, there's not, like sometimes I long for a little on-off switch, don't we all, like you could just like flick it off and have a break from like yourself in life. Um, but there's not an on or off switch. However, there are these tools that we can use, which I believe, you know, where theology and God and psychology and being a human all meet, um, that we can use and that we need to be committed to, to discover in some way or form to help nurture, grow and protect that contentment in our life. I believe wholeheartedly these are tools given us by God to be used in our human experience. You know, we've all had moments where we've like thrown up a prayer and like there's been this like divine answer. Um, and that is great, but um, it's not always kind of the way it works all day, every day. Sometimes, um, you know, that growing, that nurturing, that practice, those spiritual practices, um, they play alongside the ever present and beautiful work of the Spirit in our lives to grow and progress us in that salvation journey of reconciliation, of being saved, of growing closer to God, to others, to creation, and to ourselves. So we're going to close um, with communion today. <clears throat> and communion is an opportunity that we have most weeks, not every week. We have most weeks at church together to be present, to examine these elements, to use them as a grounding exercise where we step aside from everything else that's going on and we get really engaged with what they represent, right? Because what I love about God is, I mean, he made humans so he knows what we need to kind of get it, I guess. And so Jesus introduced this whole, you know, concept of of the Eucharist, of, of communion, because we need that embodied like interaction at times to ground us. Because if we were just like, you know, just if he was just like, just think about me and um, you know, just just carry on thinking about me. He knows how our brains work. And so having this this grounded embodied experience where we examine the elements, um, that is actually an opportunity for a regular mindfulness 
exercise. So as you take communion today, um, you can do either one of two things or two of two things. See what sits with you. So take your communion and I want you to examine the bread. I want you to feel really connected to that. What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? To the juice or wine, whatever your um, reminder of choice is. You know, really connect in with that and try in that moment to be really present. This is your moment to be in the now. Notice the taste, the texture, the smell, the feel of the elements. And then equally, you can do this or you may um, choose to do both. There's going to be a song playing um, and it's a song called Honey in the Rock. And it's a song I've been listening to a lot lately and I feel like it's, again, just been that affirmation for me, that proclamation of truth, that groundingness on God being our absolute provider. So you may also be really mindful of the words, of the tune, of what in these words is the Spirit landing for you. Be fully present in this moment now. Try to approach it with curiosity and openness. You know, don't worry about lunch, don't worry about how your kids are going in kids' church, don't worry about the things that are on your to-do list. Just try and be present in the now with curious curiosity and openness allow the peace contentedness and groundedness of the spirit present fill your heart and mind and i know that as you do as you ground yourself in the now as you allow yourself to access that peace and, the, and contentment that the spirit of god will absolutely be at work in your life